We've been looking at um, a, a series of uh, sermons that would prepare us along the way for um, what God is about to do. And uh, I believe that fall conference is going to be an important part of how God moves amongst us. I hope that you can make it for that and uh, allow the Lord to move and pray and guide you because He will show you things that He's going to be doing and prepare you for that. Uh, we, are not here, we are not here to promote fall conference because we think that we can put up a great fall conference, but we believe that the Lord has, in spite of us, a great appointment for us. And so I want to invite you as a church, to us as a church, to try to come for it and to, if you have any problems with finance or being able to make it, let us know about it and we will do our darndest to actually help you to be able to make it for that. And so in that sense, I believe that every Sunday the Lord has a word for us that's not only uh, for this Sunday, but also in preparation. If you string up these sermons, I'm having confidence that they will lead us somewhere. And so we've been looking at um, Matthew chapter 25, and that had to do with um, what we called eschatological uh, parables that have to do with preparing for His coming. I'm especially interested in our theme in terms of um, what we're going to, where we, I feel that the Lord is uh, having for us. And that has to do with abundance and fruitfulness in a place of adversity even. And I'd like to focus especially in the places that God has placed us uniquely in our, what we call the land. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a very simple structure to the placing of the children of Israel. When the children of Israel entered into the promised land, it was the place of their destiny that they would be a witness to the people around them. And in that land, right in the center of it was the temple, the place in which God's presence and the fellowship of the saints, the people of God, would flow out. So from the temple, the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God would flow out into the land. So when we talk about the land, we talk, we're talking about that place, that ordinary place in our lives in which we intersect with the world, with people who do not know Christ. And these are the places in which we experience the same things that they experience as well, the same kind of weather, the same kind of COVID viruses, the same kind of uh, pressures, the same kind of things that the economy bestows, the same kind of things that um, circumstances bring upon us. But the, 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 the way in which God wants to release His witness through us in the land is that when we stand next to, next to our non-Christian friends, there is going to be a way in which God's presence will be poignant and manifest itself to them in such a way they'll be brought to the Lord. The Lord has put you in the place where you work, the place you live, and the particular set of relationships that you have for a purpose. They are not just fixtures that are out there. They are actually the point about us being put in the place that we've been put. That's what it's about. Amen? And so as Christians, we don't run away from those places. Actually, we run to those places because God has sent us there. Amen? It may seem very, very secular to you, but you have been sent there. And it doesn't matter what profession you are, and it doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what kind of particular um, uh, uh, identity you have. 
Everything is in Christ. God has sent you and I there. And God wants us to be uh, witnesses to His goodness and His grace. Amen? So that's why we're talking about the land. That's just a kind of a roundabout way of talking about the theme of the day. The land. And I believe that um, uh, what we're talking about is to do with problems, issues, deep-seated places of leverage that we experience that can either determine whether we are fruitful or not fruitful in the land. So we talked about delay last week. Remember that? Those of you who are here. We talked about delay and what, de- what delay can do to us. Today I'd lo- like to go to the next parable in that chapter in Matthew 25 and we will look at it from verse 14 to verse 13 and this has to do with the parable of the talent. So let's turn to that place, Matthew chapter 25 and I'd like to very quickly zero in on a problem okay, and an issue that we all face. Today I will take a very sympathetic look at the servant who had only one talent. Okay. Shall we look at this from verse 14? For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another one, each according to his own abilities. And he went on his journey Interesting, huh? That the talents were not the abilities. It was according to the abilities. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Wonderful. Verse 22. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Wonderful. It kind of seems very easy, doesn't it? But it says there's a a momentum of joy that these two guys had. Verse 14, And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back and interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. 
throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in, what, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That seems really severe, don't you think? But this is a parable and it's not a reflection of God's heart. That's the most important thing. He's telling a story, he's telling a parable, as things are in the world. And so what Jesus is doing is that he's drawing an analogy and a lesson from the raw state of this wicked world that we are living in. He's not advocating that the master did the right thing. So that's really important because we can sometimes have an overlay of accusation against ourselves because we feel that God is identified with the master. No, he's taking a situation, a very hard situation that we have in the world and telling us these are the dynamics that are going on and there are things that are key things that will show how the things work. And the reason why Jesus is giving this is so that we can actually be fruitful rather than fall into the thing that the person with one talent fell into. So let, let's get this clear before we go into it, or else we can have all kinds of problems when we interpret the parable as the God being um, identified with the master. This is, not, um, um, this is not meant to be the way in which we actually look at it. Um, but Jesus is focusing in on what are the, what the, the attitudinal, heart, mind, critical places that can determine what results can happen in our lives. Yeah? So let's have a look at it. I'm mean, like, like us to go straight into the one with the one talent. Verse 24, And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid you, your talent, in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And what Jesus is showing is that there is a certain way in which we think about the universe, the way things are, the way the world works, or the way God is. Now, many of you may be thinking, I don't think that of God. I think God's a great God. He's a good God. But I think what Jesus is speaking to is a certain way in which the soul, our intuitive, non-reflective part of our heart, tends towards when we are in places of uncertainty. There's a certain, Plato call it the lie that, that dwells in the soul. It's just there. It's there because of the fall, I believe. And it's also um, increased when we have had experiences that tell us that the world is not only unfair, God is unfair. But there is something more that Jesus is speaking about, I believe, and that is this resonant echo that actually happens in your heart and my heart when, no matter how optimistic and how confident you are, you are faced, we are faced with certain situations of uncertainty that portend doom that make us affected, triggered, 
intuitively fearful that the way things are is that God reaps where he did not sow and he expects of us what he did not give to us. That the way in which life is and the way God is towards us can sometimes be totally unfair. And we have to do something on our own to cope with that kind of vague sense of dread, that, and that's the word angst, right? Angst. That comes from the, a certain, un, perhaps an unfocused intuition that comes from a damaged soul, that comes from the fall, that things, no matter how well our plans are laid, can go bad and God can actually do a number on you. You don't experience that? Now you're getting me worried. Are we in our sunny self? Everything's fine? God is unfair. It's an intuition that's laid into the soul. And this guy is speaking out of that place because he's put into situations where he has to take serious risks. And in the face of risks, anything can happen. But he's saying the master has this way of reaping where he did not sow. This is, it's a, it's a, can you hear me? Yes, good. That God cannot be trusted. He reaps where he does not sow. He's unfair. And it can cause us to be bound by a lie that's laid in the heart in which come to the moment we expect things to go south. If they haven't been going that well, the expectation is going to go south. Right? Makes us behave in ways that will confirm it also because of the fact that fear can cause us to get really angry and, uh, and, uh, and uh, subvert everything that God's wanting to do. It can cause us to withdraw. It can cause us to function in the light of that as well. It makes us behave in ways that will confirm our suspicion of God. Makes us risk averse. Now, in case you are thinking, I don't remember, you know, I don't think that of God. I think He's fine. I'll give you a few examples from my own life. I grew up thinking, why is it God never answers my prayers? Why does you answer everybody's prayers but not mine? When you find you go through a, a multitude of, of, of prayers that have not been answered, the next prayer you pray, you tend to expect they won't be answered. When I got cancer, I, was told, I had been told, because my dad had cancer, so in some ways it's hereditary, that cancer is very slow-growing. And so you probably die of something else instead of cancer. You know? But when I got my diagnosis, I was told that my cancer is aggressive. And usually cancer is not aggressive. But mine was aggressive. And I thought, huh, I've been specially chosen not to be chosen. That of all the people in my community, I'm one of the few 
chosen to have an aggressive cancer. That how life or God throws curveballs at you. And in the face of that, I remember thinking, so what do I do with this? What do I do with the fact that I've been given this, I've been thrown this, this thing, and it seems like God is giving this to me. I mean, who can give me a, 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 rare, a rarer form of cancer other than God, right? I remember also when I had graduated from my, my, my class and uh, from college, I was the only one of 150 students, 160 students, who would not be able to find a job because I could not get a job because I didn't have a work permit. Especially chosen not to be chosen. I also remember when I first came to America and God was moving in many ways, one of the things that had happened was that I had come to America not long after I had, had met with an, a, a very serious accident in which um, I, one of the things was that I broke my femur, my, my thigh bone. And as a result of that, I was on crutches, but I was also on, uh, on a, a sort of a, a thing that holds up your, 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 your leg. And, uh, and the thing about this group of people who uh, were welcoming me and we were having many meetings every day and all that, they were very active. And so they always wanted me to go with them on hikes. On hikes. So we climbed Mount Wilson and did all these things, even went boogie boarding uh, and all that. And after that, I found out that because of that, my, my femur had angulated. And as a result of that angulation, um, one leg was shorter than the other. Over the next 15, 15 or so years, um, I got arthritis. And we prayed. And I thought, is this how it goes? Is this how it goes? And, but fortunately for me, the grace of God was upon me to never blame God. But I can imagine how it was easy to think there's a way in which the earth is curved wrongly or it's the, the way in which the grain of the universe goes is authored by God. But He's sometimes not fair. And when it comes to times in which you're really, really uncertain about things, how ink outcomes can go, 50% this way, good, or 50% bad, when you face that situation, it always seems as if, even though the chances are that the outcome will be good, it's 50-50, good or bad, yes or no. And there's something I realized that there was in me, and I've noticed that in a lot of people, that causes me, or maybe I would even hazard, hazard, hazard to say us, to think there is a chance that the tilt of God's kind of attitude towards me is kind of unfair. And this, I think, sometimes can cause us to be hypervigilant about things, about risk and all that. What I'm especially wanting to speak to is anybody who feels like the one with the one talent, that the basis of your life has a lot to do with the fact that you feel that God sometimes, or maybe often, 
reaps where he doesn't sow and exacts from you or expects from you what he did not give to you grace for. And so I want to speak especially to that because when we hit those places in which whether it's our health or it's our something really precious to us and something that means a lot to us is threatened or is taken away from us or it seems to be trending downwards, there is a way in which this kind of situation can bring up that intuition, that intuitional feel that things are not going to be fair or not, things are not going to go well, brings out negativity or brings out a pessimism, brings out a fear. And sometimes it's just not rational. It's just there. It's just a voice that's lodged in our heart because of the fall. But God can heal it. Amen? We're here for healing. And Jesus gives us this parable so that we can be healed. Not because he's identified with this unjust master. Right? So let's have a look at this. There's something about that that I just felt that, you know, the Lord was, uh, was, uh, was uh, bringing up in my mind to share with you. And... Um, And just to, just to give you another sunny example, I remember there was a, a situation in which there were some Fuller students who were about to graduate. And they were wanting to go back to India as missionaries to um, minister to these people. They'd spent um, three years at Fuller Seminary, prepared themselves, a whole family. And just on the day before they left, for Fuller, they met with an accident and all of them died just the day before they were due to go to, to India. And many people who, who knew them said, why did this happen? What is the whole point of this? And they got extremely shaken and mad with God. And you can understand why that is. Can you imagine the kind of, the number of people who at the end of it could feel like this person with one talent, that the master reaps where he does not sow. Does that make sense? We do come to situations in which we feel there's this irrational kind of, there's this random thing. There's something random about way, the way things go. You know, General Patton had survived years and years in World War II, including World War I, on the battlefield. He comes back, and but not long after that, he gets hit by a, a, a rolling fruit cart. And soon after that, he dies. And you've heard stories about people who survived Afghanistan, survived Iraq. They come back and they're devastated and they're killed on the street randomly. You can see that. And it can make you wonder, every time you come to a place of risk, you think, how is it going to turn out? Or you can say, I'm not going to take a risk. I'm not going to go there. Because somehow, there is not that assurance that underneath are the everlasting arms. And so what Jesus is saying is this, to be successful and fruitful in the land, you have to be freed up like the first two, who seem to talk about their fruitfulness as if it's almost easy. It's almost natural. It's almost 
the way it flows. And I think I have a problem with that because of the fact that a lot of times it doesn't flow that way. And to add salt to a wound, he make, Jesus makes this statement that something like this, to those who have, they will have more, and those who don't have, even that will be taken away. How, how, do I, how do I not explode in my mind, right? When I think about that. You all seem really calm. I don't know, I had a problem when I, when I read it. But I think what Jesus is saying is this. These things do happen, and I'm here to tell you that the Son of Man has come to bring His kingdom to bear upon these kind of things. He's here not to affirm the, 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 the master who reaps where he does not sow, but to tell us about the kingdom of God. Amen? And how to function in the kingdom of God, knowing, given that this is the condition of our heart, and this is the, 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 the crazy nature of our universe. Amen? Okay, let's go. I'd like to just dive in a little bit more into what the, the, this, this intuition of negativity, this brokenness can cause us to do, okay? Let's have a look at it. The one who had received, verse 24, the one talent, came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. I was afraid. I think fear at root can sometimes be a wound. A wound that can happen through circumstances that have taken place in our life. But I think it's also something that is lodged there. There's a brokenness that we are born with because of sin and because of the fall. But there's a fear... And I would sometimes look at it as this way. The fear consists of impressions, images. Can you hear me? I'll say that again in case you didn't catch that. There could be impressions, it could be images, intuitive thoughts of disaster. It's projections into the future about how the future is going to be. Fear comes from these things that however, have a way of imprinting themselves upon us. Sometimes. We, without warning. But fear comes when there is an anticipation of an outcome that things are going to go badly or things are going to go um, disastrously or things, things that are dependent upon other people or other, other forces can actually work out this, this way. Fear actually is a strong motivation, but it is really a projection out into the future. Fear is a prediction of what's going to happen in the future. Thank you, Ernie. Fear is a prediction that the heart makes out of its own self and projects it out to the future. Yeah? Fear is, it can, be, it can be a good thing and it can also become a very dangerous thing. I'm talking about the fear that is a bondage. And I think fear is a spirit in many, many cases. Sometimes it's rational, sometimes it's irrational. But it's a false prophecy about what's going on in the future. If you don't deal with that, you will be bound by that. It will create your, your universe and it will create your world and it will create your next step. Delay 
can be a can be a, have a way of projecting into the future what you've experienced from the past out into the days ahead. It's an anticipation of an outcome. It is an anticipated path of circumstance that it's going this way. It's a prediction. It's a kind of a false prophecy. It's a negative prophecy in that sphere. It is a projection to the future based upon imperfect knowledge. It, it, you know, the man said, the, the man with one talent says, I know you to be this way. Remember that? I know you to be this way. He has imperfect knowledge. He doesn't know the master completely. He sure doesn't know God. And what happens is that our knowledge of God is imperfect. It's, it's also interpreted by our own diseased souls sometimes. And what that does is that it creates a whole, the existence of this, this ball of fear that comes into us. I've dealt with it a lot in my own life. And those of you who have lived longer than three years old <laughs> have dealt with it already enough. I wish we didn't have any fear. It's a way in which the devil twists what is legitimate, a legitimate fear in us, and twists it and puts it, his, his own thing about it. And what he's saying, Jesus is saying, says, you will not be fruitful in the land unless you overcome this fear because this fear is based upon a lie that I am not good to you, that things will go badly because I've somehow of a character that um, what I did not sow, I will reap. That it will not be, will not be fair. I have my own set of stories about how things did not go well to good people. I have my own set of stories. But they're all stories that are told from the outside, looking at, into them. And there are ways in which my own interpretation can increase that spirit of fear, its power in me. So he says, I feared. Now, I believe that fear is the root of what Jesus is talking about today. You know, there are lots of things, but today I'd like to focus upon fear because unless we know how to deal with fear, I don't mean the fears that don't crop up because we're just optimistic people. I mean the fears that come out unbeknownst to us and they just come and they just hit you. You see somebody look at you, look at you funny, your fear starts like, oh, this person has changed his heart towards me. Or, or his her, her heart towards me. I look at my, my husband or my wife, and, she, and he or she behaves differently. And fears actually begin to come up, and they begin to paint themselves very real. It's funny how graphic fear can be. So fear is not just a thought. It's graphic. It has, it's painted by someone. It takes the material of our experience, it takes the material of our fallenness, and it paints it and it's writ large, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's painted graphically. All right. He says the next thing that happens is this. Um, I, I, I want to make sure you, you, you see where I'm looking at. Verse 25. I was afraid and went away. The second thing is that the fear causes you to go away. Go away from where the, the, the fear is. You go away from the anticipate, anticipated outcome, but you mainly go away from the presence of God. You go away from God. You withdraw from that. And what happens is that 
there may be underlying riches in the land that you have that God wants to dig out. But you will go away from it. Fear has one aim, and that's to drive you away. Away from God. Drive you away from God. Drive you away from the opportunity that God has for you in your land. To give up. To just give up. Because what fear will tell you is this. This is what's going to happen if you keep going on this way. If you keep going this way, this is what's going to happen. You're going to end up diminished. And that's what fear is going to try to do. He's trying to diminish you, but he's trying to make you, it's trying to make you diminish yourself. And so I went away. So you go, we go away from the opportunity. We go from, away from the fear. I think the devil really wants to make you disappear. Just go away. Just go. Go away from the opportunity. And I wonder whether we ha- may have missed many opportunities for fruit, tremendous blessing, just because we got driven away. Just got driven away. Every time God puts a thought in our hearts, to speak out in faith on behalf of someone else. The devil will say, don't say it or else you make a mistake. Don't you think so? Uh, we are doing this retrofit. And one of the things that has happened in our relationship with the engineers and all these people is that we've, come, we've become, we have some great cam- camaraderie. And there's been an opportunity to witness and share with them about the, about the Lord. To such an extent that I heard one, one day the contractor of um, one of the companies that was, uh, was working with us was talking to Cindy on the phone. And as he was talking on the phone, there's some very important things. He did something that I'm sure many of you don't do, but which I have done before. Stop at the red light and for no reason at all you just go at the red light it's red but you just start driving and he did that right he had called Cindy because he wanted some information and while he was doing that he got absent-minded has that ever happened to you my kids used to wonder daddy why are you going at red very, very slowly and very purposefully. Now, the problem was, the police car was right behind him. Right there. So here he was, police car was right behind him. And so quickly he said to Cindy, Oh no, I have just gone out for no reason on red and the police car is right behind me. So Cindy said, okay, we're going to pray right now that he won't see it or you'll be, you'll be spared. And so she's prayed for him right on that moment. And the policeman just didn't do anything. And he just went. And this man was so impacted by that, so... You can imagine, right? Especially when the fear is very real. But the thing is this. There are opportunities, little opportunities like this 
that cause us to be able to pull out from nothing, from the thin air, things that could be miraculous. They're opportunities. Yeah? Now, will I have done that? I like to think I would. But I can remember a time when I would never do that because I would think it's inappropriate or what if God doesn't answer? Now, what fear would do for me is this, it'll immediately project upon me a scenario in which I prayed for this guy and the policeman caught him anyway. And the man would think, I don't know what that's all, that prayer is all about. I still got a $300 fine, you know? Fear is a projection of a result that will take place after you've stepped out for God in some ways. Amen? Here's another one. God wants to use you in your land. And He'll give you opportunities to experience times in which your colleagues in the land are having a serious problem. A serious problem. They have a health problem or something. And the Lord gives you a, a nudge. He says, go pray for that person. And as you're praying for that person, you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Not just pray as an action. Okay, I, I'm a Christian, so I'll just pray. But you want to be sensitive to the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah? The Holy Spirit is with you. And as He speaks, as you pray for that person, what happens if the Holy Spirit tells you to tell that person? He doesn't always, but what if He asks you to say, you're going to be well? Would you say it? You don't have to say yes or no. You just have to say, if the Holy Spirit tells me, I will. What fear does is to try to make us miss crucial steps that can cause wonderful things to happen. Amen? It's a talent. You can bury it in the ground. But I tell you what, the devil wants to make you disappear. He wants you to disappear and only appear as a shell of a person who does all the things that non-Christian does, but with perhaps with more integrity. That's all. Or more character. All these are good things. But he wants the inner witness of the Spirit to just disappear and for you to just go away from that. Amen? Fear almost made me not want to go and check out my cancer. And my cancer was right there on the border, just ready to break out of, my, of the capsule. And fear told me, just forget about it. Just forget about it. And I had to confront that fear, and I want to talk a little bit about that, that confrontation. Okay? Um, and the, finally, he says, and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground and hid your talent in the ground. There is a place of hiding that makes us feel safe. This safe place is a place that is hidden 
And the thing about being hidden is this. When you're hidden, nobody knows where you are or when you hide anything, nobody knows where it is, correct? Except one person. And it's you. And what the devil wants to do is to reduce the whole equation to these two things. The most safe place is where you are in complete control and on complete knowledge and you're the only one who knows about this place. So you enclose it with a fence or with a wall so much so that nobody knows. Hiding is a function of fear most of the time. And I know what it is to talk about privacy and desire privacy greatly. But whenever there is this way in which that absolute privacy of hiding is removed, God is able to come in and liberate that situation. Hiding is the way in which we move from fear, going away, until when we hide, the whole matter is diminished to the point it's completely under your control. Only you know where it is. Only know, you know where, where the sin is. Only you know where that vulnerability is. I love it. I love hiding. It's bad. And some years ago, the Lord spoke to me. He says, you don't hide. You don't hide. Don't hide the precious things. Let it, you don't expose it, but you just let it be. And don't let fear cause you to control everything that happens around it. Because what will happen is that it will diminish you. We had a wonderful time with a, couple, uh, a family a few days ago who came to our house and we had dinner together. It was so wonderful because there was such an openness in sharing that all of us, children, adults and all that, had such a great time. We couldn't stop talking about it. It's had such a glow in our hearts all this while. Not because we are curious about other people. Not because knowing secrets that other people have gives us power over them. But because of the fact that there is some liberty that flows from that. Hiding, what it does is that it diminish you, d- diminishes you to the smallest level. Okay? How do we deal with it? And let me just turn you to, you to Mark chapter 3. There was a way in which Jesus dealt with someone who was diminishing and withering. And it's in Mark chapter 3. And I, I'm sure some of you can guess what the incident was. Mark chapter 3, reading from verse 1. There was a man in the synagogue who had a withered arm. His hand was withered. Verse 2. They were watching him to see, watching Jesus, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up, come forward. Or in the ESV, I think it just says, come here, just come here. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at, the, at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him. Now, Pharisees do not like Herodians. Herodians don't like Pharisees. But they began to be 
friends against Jesus. And they conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. So here's this man. His life has been withered. His hand is withered. And that's some way, in some ways a, 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 perhaps a fitting picture of the things that we're talking about. If your life, has your life been diminished? Has it been withered? Has it been made smaller? Has it been driven by fear? Has it been driven in such a way that the devil has almost made you disappear? May I suggest to you that Jesus has a way of dealing with these withered places in our lives, the withered by fear. The first thing he said to the man was this. In spite of all the pressure from the Pharisees, he didn't say, stretch out your hand from where you are. He says, come here first. Come here first. And the first thing that I feel that Jesus wants us to do is to come to him. Come to him. You stretch out from where you have come to him. Don't stretch out from where you are. So because coming to him means coming to him in person. In person. Not trying to stretch to do some powerful spiritual thing that makes everybody think, oh, this person's really spiritual. But just come to him as you are in person. With your stains, with your past, with your fears, with your bad attitudes. Just come to him. Amen? Because he has paid the price for your righteousness. You are completely accepted in the beloved. You can come to him. So there's this man who's withered hand. The whole of pharisaical uh, theology hung on the fact that if you are righteous, you would not be sick. You would not be poor. That's how the, 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 the Pharisees controlled the ethics of the day, the codes of the day. And what Jesus was saying is this, no, if you're poor, if you're sick and all that, that's not, that's not, doesn't mean because you're unrighteous. And he says, come over this way. But for, them, for him, he had to come out of all those pressures and stand with Jesus. And I want to say, the first thing to do to overcome fear is to come to him with all your fears. Now, I realize that that seems, it seems so obvious, but, but how do we do that, right? Have you asked the question in the Old Testament, that when, when the Old Testament says, do not fear, do not fear, put on strength, take courage. When you are fearing, okay, when you have something to fear, it is not enough for you to know, okay, I've got to be strong. Okay, I've got to be fear, fearful. The point is, I am fearful. You can't just tell me, don't be fearful. So may I ask you, have, how have you dealt with that, that question when, the, when the, the Bible says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear? How do I like not fear, go from fearing to not fearing? How do I do that? Have you thought about that? The Psalms tells us, take courage and he will strengthen your heart. Take courage. Courage is not not fearing. Courage is just being willing to have heart enough to embrace the fearful thing and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I need you to fill me up. I have found that when Jesus says, come to me, that's exactly right. My fear doesn't go away because the thing to be fearful about goes away. Because if it comes back again, I'll have fear again. When Jesus is speaking to us and the Lord is speaking to us about not fearing, He's saying there is a way courage and not fearing can be filled into your heart and your soul. 
And what Jesus was saying is this, you take a step, come to me. Come to me. And I have found that the way for me to do that is to sit before him. Bring him my fear. And, and, and say, it's not going away. But I look to him. I pray in the spirit. I look to him and I say, while I'm looking to you, I'm assuming that you're going to pour, in, pour into me the fearlessness that's based upon truth. Not the based upon being just positive, but the fearlessness that's based upon the truth that you will witness into my heart that things are really going to be all right and not just say, yeah, things are going to be fine. No, I need the truth to come from your mouth. I need the truth to come from your presence so that when I open my mouth wide, I will wait on you until the fear goes away. So he says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. The word trust has to do with the penetrating leaning, a leaning upon him until we feel the thrust back on him. When I say I trust this wall and I stand at a distance from this wall, I'm actually not trusting this wall. I'm just thinking, I think these walls are made well. They were made in 1922 or whatever it is. They're fine. I can trust it. And I stand away from the wall. I am not in contact with the wall. Does that make sense? Trusting in the wall is to actually press and lean into. So that's another way you can translate the word trust. Lean into. Lean into until you find the strength of the wall pushing back at you. Does that make sense? Now, you can experience that so that the fear is taken away because you feel something pushing back at the fear. It's objective. It is from God. It's God pushing, pushing. There's an equal and opposite reaction to the, to the load of fear. Does that make sense? Now, if I am going to be not fearing just because of the fact that the circumstances are taken away, I have not developed trust. Trust comes when I lean upon God and I'm fearful like anything. I want to run away. I want to get out of this place. I want to hide. I trust Him. And there are times in which I just push against the wall. I don't really feel the wall pushing back. But if I press far enough, I will feel the full force of the, of the wall pushing back. And I know that there's even more force in the wall than my 199 pounds. Does that make sense? When Jesus says, come to me, what he's saying is this, you need to come to me and receive something from me not just a change of circumstances in which the thing that you're afraid of is going to go away. No. You are need, you're going to have a transformation in your heart so that in your land, when you face these things, you will not be afraid because the thing that is the opposite of faith, faith or fear got put into you. We need something to be put into us. It's called trust. Does that make sense? When he says, don't be afraid, he's not saying there's nothing to be afraid of. He's saying, I want you to have the strength, the courage, the trust that's in you. It's a substance. You have to press into him. You have to press into it until then, then, in your quiet time or in your prayer time, the fear goes. Circumstance is still there, but the fear goes and you react to the circumstance in a very different way. Amen? Not in anger, not in, in, in reaction, not in fearing, not, not in cowering, not in, in, in being intimidated by this. Amen? And then he said, for there, you stretch 
you stretch from this place. You don't stretch from a place as far away from me, stretching at, 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 at some kind of um, spiritual dynamic. No, you come to me. And when you come to me, I will no wise cast you out because I'm readying you for great things you're going to do in the land. Amen? Let us pray. Praise your name. Lord, we welcome you. What we need for our fears is more than a change of circumstance, but we trust you for that too. But right now, we want to come onto your side. Come onto your side, Lord. There may be fears all around us. But we thank you that you are here to heal us of places, ways in which we live in avoidance of anxiety-producing circumstances, people, or things. You are our courage. We have none to speak of except what you give to us. I want to invite anyone who has fear fear that is has bound you up that has made you averse to anything that you can see from afar off could go badly I had many of those. And I know the tendency to just want to just quickly go to places where I'm far away from that anticipated circumstance. But just as Jesus said to the man, I want you to come here, actually he said, get up and come forward much more proactive. I too, I found the Lord calling me, get up, come forward, come to me. Not to the battle, not to the fight, but come to me. Praise you, Lord. If God's been speaking to you and you're saying, Lord, heal me of this faith, this fear, I want to invite you to just open your hand to Him. The grace of God is here. Father, we renounce the lie that you sow, you reap where you don't sow. We renounce the lie that you are unfair God. We renounce the lie that we have been specially chosen for disaster, and that bad luck is our lot. We refuse the lie that wants to diminish us and make us disappear and go away from our land. We refuse that lie. We rebuke it. We reject it. We bind it and we break it. In Jesus' name. We want you, Lord. 
not just positivity, we just want you. That you outweigh everything, Lord. Come, O oh Lord, give us the courage of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The Lord is present. And He's pouring out His trust upon us. Just call upon Him right now. Call upon Him. Just lean into Him right now. Yes, Lord, we come to you like Mary, knowing Martha, knows we have other talents. But right now, none of that matters, Lord. We just bring one thing, all that we are. Just bring it all, and we choose you as the better portion yes, right Lord. now. You are our portion. Thank you for filling until every bit of fear of what Martha says is gone in Jesus' name. Let every fear of what people think or what they say or what we even think about ourselves, let it go. Yes, Lord. We just choose you, Lord. Help us tomorrow to choose you too. Tomorrow morning, we ask right now that there'll be no more running away from you, chasing talents, Lord. Because we give you ourselves first. Mm -hmm. Amen. Lord, we pray for every person that is feeling the, 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 the bondage of fear. We break it right now in Jesus' name. We release the liberty of God and we release the drawing of God upon our heart, upon our soul to you as we commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.